Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Young athletes need the tools for success on the field and on the court. And now more than ever, in the arena of business. In the new era of name, image, and likeness, Athletic Architects is here for young athletes and parents to help prepare for your financial futures. Let Athletic Architects start helping you build your house. Visit buildthehouse.com and let's build together. You're listening to the Auburn Express. Powered by the Wall All aboard the AM departure from platform 334, the Auburn Express. We're running on time and expecting no hiccups. Doing the work, hard work, to bring you the best Auburn sports content you'll find anywhere. Auburn Express, what's up? It's your man, Ike Jones. I am in here with Auburn Memes, and we are talking Auburn basketball, pulling in to the Lobtown Station right here on the Auburn Express. Memes, how are we feeling? This is, uh, for context, right after we got through demolishing LSU on the road. So we're going to talk a little bit of LSU. We're going to talk a little Mississippi State. And uh, but yeah, how you feeling, man? Genuinely, this is the best, probably the best feeling I've had since we have started recording for the seasons of lockdowns. Mm. Two consecutive games back to back. I didn't necessarily feel like for forty minutes Auburn played to their competition. I felt like they played above their competition for most of the entirety of both of these past two games. A lot of consistency improvements on both sides of the ball a lot more efficient and smart playing. It didn't feel like they were winning with just pure athleticism and just being better than the other team. Looked like they won with just, what are the baby steps toward fundamental good team play and chemistry, which kind of come in time. December, I was not feeling uh, too great about, and it seems to be that uh, they've really started to get that going in the right direction at the right time when a lot of SEC teams have been uh, tripping, tripping on themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is something that we talked about um, that it it really, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter how you're playing earlier in the season, but that doesn't have to be the end of the story, right? Like there's a, there's a way for you to progress as the season goes on. I think a lot of teams may have peaked already. There may be some teams who have looked bad, but may be playing better basketball down the stretch here. At the end of the day, man, your talent is going to come through on the floor and Auburn despite what they have looks like as a talented basketball team. And 
it showed in both the Mississippi State game and the LSU games that Auburn's got talent and other teams maybe have some some deficiencies in their ability to score the basketball even more than Auburn because uh, Auburn hadn't been scoring very well. So let's let's first and foremost talk about Mississippi State and one of the more horrendous shooting performances I've ever witnessed happening during that game. Uh, they didn't hit a single three-point basket for the second year in a row against Auburn. I just don't... I, 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 it's it's amazing to me that Mississippi State wins basketball games with as poorly as they shoot. The amount of no three memes that we blasted them on their post game score, pretty incredible. Yeah, but you got to remember they had. I mean, you're just setting you you're just setting yourself up for that kind of shit post game shit talk when you make no threes. I mean, some of those it's, it's, it's they're just bricking the things. I mean, yeah. it's awful. I, I, like I said, it, it wasn't just that they missed. It was like air balls and massive. Like it was bad, bad, bad. <laughs> I just don't, I mean, there's no nice. I'm sorry, Mississippi state fans. If you're listening, it was bad. They just looked like basketball was not really like their first sport. Yeah. It's like, you see some of you go out there and it's just, I, I, you know, night the Nike ball effect, or it just it'll bounce. Just you got a great. You just really looking. Oh, that's good. It just hits the rim. It's got a weird bounce. God, that not good. We kind of grit your teeth. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are all just like you knew the second it left this guy's hands. Like that's not even a chance. And sure enough, eighteen shots later, none of them had a chance. Right. And I mean, oh and eight. I mean, and like all right, no threes. Like oh and six, oh and seven. All right, oh and eighteen. Like that's a high volume of shots for SEC caliber players. To just miss, and I mean, it was it wasn't just one guy; it was a yeah, it was thing. a committee, it just misses by committee. And man, let me tell you, and then for all the shots that they didn't make, Auburn somehow found a make because I want to say they ended if it wasn't their season highs or second season high forty four percent, which I mean has been about near double what Auburn has shot on some nights. So love to see that. I mean, it's a high volume; it was eleven for twenty five. So I mean. If Auburn is shooting that percentage over 23s, we take that. Yeah. Yeah, we every day that. of the week, man, I, I will take Auburn shooting that percentage with at that volume. And, I mean, a lot of that is due to Jalen, who was absolutely out of his mind in the first half of this game. Um I don't, I don't know what came over him as he walked into Neville Arena, but he absolutely showed up and showed out in the first half, um, putting yeah. on one of the better shooting performances, I think, of his Auburn career. I mean, he he had his high point total for his career, but just the performance as far as his ability to make shots from a variety of places, but particularly from three, was was absolutely insane. Yeah, the only way to stop Jalen is him fouling out. I mean, that's the best part about it. Like, he right. could have kept going. And that, that's, what, like, that's what I really rested my head on at the end of that game. Is like, man, if they just let Jalen cook just a few more minutes, like how much more... Could he uh, put these guys down? But yeah, Jalen leave toward the end. Obviously, he didn't have Chris Moore in that game. And, you know, they made it. I mean, I'll, I'll give Mississippi State a little little uh, credit here. I mean, they, they scrapped their way to make that game a little bit closer in the last few minutes than it really needed to be. Yeah. But double props to Auburn when it was getting a little too close. They went ahead and pushed that gap to where it wasn't even going to be a, a a system of a foul, miss, bad inbound. All right, now it's a one-position game with m- – Time let you know they they did what they needed to do to not even give him a, a second thought there, but it, it's it's one of those games too where you really wish and 
it was a good win. I'm not going to take that away from it. And there was a lot of statistical areas. I was like, all right, we're good. We're good. But it was still one of those games where you just really sit there and say, we, this really should have been a double-digit win. For sure. Yeah, 100% should have been a win that they kind of pushed away. It was, you know, like you said, at the end, they made it a little more interesting than they needed to. Jalen fouling out. They talked about that a little bit in the post game. Uh, Alan Flanagan ended up having to be the inbounds guy once Jalen fouled out. And he hadn't been in that position to, before when they're pressing to be the guy inbounding. Uh, and, you know, he had a couple of sloppy turnovers there and Mississippi State was able to get some rather fortuitous uh, whistles, if you'll uh, allow me the liberty to, to poke at the refs some, because I thought that they were not very good um, for a large portion of this game for, for bo- on both ways. Um, you know, I think Auburn got the liberty of a couple of calls and Mississippi State definitely got their fair share. But down towards the end, there's just a couple of calls there. I was like, what? What was that like? There was a, there was one where Leor Berman went in to steal the ball and I thought tied the guy up perfectly. Should have been a jump ball situation. They called the foul on him. I was like, that might have been one of the cleanest uh, attempts at a strip that I've ever seen get called for a file. Like it was just, it was absolutely ludicrous. So yeah. yeah and wasn't that the, and, and I don't have the, uh, the halftime stats in front of me right now. It's got the game total. Yes. This but is the game where there were like no free throws in the first half and 40 yeah. something in the second half. Absolutely. Right. So that, and then once again, we, we don't have to beat into it because we've definitely mentioned this at nauseum over the season. Just got to give my token reference here to inconsistent officiating. Yeah, we're going to leave it at that. We all know we all know the rabbit hole that goes down, and I, mean, I think this is a perfect example here. And really, I mean, I guess that is also why this game was as closer than it should have been because I forgot that twenty-one points of the second half that Mississippi State had were solely well, from from, from just free throw shots. Yep, which is which is better than a, their season. I mean, they've been awful awful free throw team and they shot 75% that particular night. And just once again, I guess the refs like, Oh, have, they're huddling up and they're, they're halftime. Hey, we didn't call any, you know, we got to get some guys <laughs> to the line. Like, you know, we're going to, we're going to get in trouble with the bosses here. And so I think there's like, maybe a little overcompensation there, not saying just the numbers look a little suspect, but Auburn did shoot uh 10 for 13, better percentage, just under 77%. So, but once again, Mississippi State had 28 shots, Auburn at 13. So yeah. a little bit, a uh, little bit suspect there on the uh, consistency for the refs. But all the same, weird, kind of a weird game. But it was still a, it, the score was closer than the game was. We'll just yeah, no, absolutely. I think Auburn dominated the vast majority of this game. A lot to do with Mississippi State inability, Mississippi State's inability to shoot jump shots. Because um, everything that wasn't in the paint, which like I, I, there was some other absurd stat about like literally every point that Mississippi State scored in the first half of that game was like a layup or something. Like it was with it was in the paint. So like they scored they they scored nothing outside of the paint in the first half of the game. Um, so I mean, and because they didn't shoot any free throws, that was their entire productivity. Like it was just a bunch of layups and and in close. I mean, they were killing uh, Auburn on the glass um, in the first half of the game. So yeah, um, that happens when you shoot a lot of bricks. There's a lot of rebound opportunities. So um, Mississippi State not doing great out there on the offensive end, um, but Auburn able to get the win and glad to get out of there. It's one of those things uh, we talk about in really in all sports, but we talk about a lot on the war report when we're talking about football games is that 
the mark of a good team is that you beat bad teams, right? And a mark of a great team is you blow out bad teams, right? You don't, and and the, the reason why Auburn has been good so far this year, not great, because they haven't had a blowout win against a bad team until LSU. Because I don't think LSU is a very good team. Um, and the final score tonight, I think, is indicative of what that was like. It was not like LSU doesn't have any offensive continuity. And, and there's a lot of new guys on this squad. Uh, but they they look like a bunch of guys who are playing pickup ball at the rec league. Not a bunch of guys who have played together for months now. So a very interesting thing. But let's, and, and you know, let's pivot and talk a little bit about, did you have, well, before, did you have anything else about the Mississippi State game before we get too far into this LSU situation? Uh, no, I, that was that pretty much summed it up for me there. Yeah. I'm looking at LSU's schedule right now, and I, I was just trying to figure out what has LSU's best win been for the season. And, I mean, it's like you want to say Arkansas, but I think we're now, I, I think it's safe to say with these injuries, Arkansas is just not a good team. Yeah, I think the injuries have done a lot to hurt Arkansas's ability. Uh, similarly to the Mississippi State game and then tonight LSU's game, Arkansas can't shoot the ball. Um, and so if they can't, the reason why a game between Arkansas and Mississippi State or Arkansas and LSU can be a matchup is because neither of the none of those teams have any perimeter scoring to speak of. So it's just going to be a slugfest on the inside about who has the better four and five, right? If you, who has the better front court wins those games, but, uh, and then Arkansas plays better defense, I think, than both LSU and Mississippi state does, which, uh, that's, that's saying something because I do think Mississippi state has a decent defensive squad, uh, particularly being able to protect the paint. But I think Arkansas from a talent perspective, even with those hurt players is better than both of those teams, but LSU, that probably is their best win so far this season. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean that was a three-point win. I mean, they barely scraped that one away here, and obviously it was at home, too. But, I, I mean, as I'm looking through here, I mean, generally speaking, like, I think after they, they did beat Wake Forest by two points, so they've not had a single blowout win of any team of notoriety here. And, I mean, Wake Forest is 14-5, second in the ACC. Not a world-beater team, but, I mean, right. a- after that, I mean, you just have a massive drop-off. Yeah, they're between, on a five-game losing streak right now, um, including the loss tonight to Auburn. So, I mean, yeah, LSU... I mean, let, let's let's look at it here. I mean, you've got you got outscored a forty points to Alabama. Hmm. You about got outscored by twenty to Auburn, right? So, I mean, you you just <laughs> your last two games, you got a bad, and that's what I was really wondering, like how how down. Like how would that like how is LSU going to respond from that Alabama game? Because that means you have so in total, yeah. So it's, your last two games, you've lost by a combined fifty eight points. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. Yeah, and that's I mean that's your conference. You know, that's that's in your conference there, and, and two teams that you've historically played well like, against. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not like LSU has been a, a slump in the conference. Now you know they've had some things not go their way and recent years, but all the same new coach, like a lot of these other teams always been playing this year, just conference in general, almost a whole new team. You know, that's what I really got to really wonder here. And I haven't actually looked at this too hard, but like, does Auburn have, if not the most, got to be top two or three, like the most like returning returning players. Yeah, yeah. I would say yes. Um, I mean, I think that. 
Oh gosh, I'm trying to think what teams have some continuity for the I mean the vast majority of these teams, yeah, they've turned over a ton of players uh in in uh season to season whether it was from graduation or uh from transfers. Uh a lot of those guys that were on and, and I think that's the thing that's that's interesting. We were kind of the inexperienced young squad last year, right? Like when you go back and think about it, you've got Walker well, Kessler, who was new to the team. Jabari Smith, new to the team. Wendell Green, new to the team. Katie Johnson, new to the team. Zep uh, Jasper, new to the team. Um, and those were the guys playing the vast majority of the minutes, right? Like you had a sprinkling of Alan Flanagan and uh, Jaglin Williams in there. Chris Moore wasn't playing a lot of minutes last year. Cam- Cambridge was up. Cambridge, the yeah. Rotation. So you had three guys in the rotation that had played for Auburn the previous season. Um, but outside of that, literally everybody else that took the vast majority of those minutes was a new guy on the squad. We're we're, we're the old team in the league right now, uh, with the most kind of SEC game experience uh, returning. Everybody else, Tennessee, I think has a good uh, not as many as Auburn but a good amount of of returning guys on their team that have experience which you know listen you, you look at the the records uh outside of Alabama Tennessee is the, probably the class of the SEC and I think that's that that experience pays dividends once you get into league play well it's really interesting with the way the SEC breaks down just you mentioned that I was gonna just go ahead and good segue for me here because you know the years past have been like your top you know, one, two, three, and then you had like a really, really big, all right, a lot of these guys are all kind of neck and neck in the middle. Then you had like your bottom two. Mm-hmm. Now the SEC is, I'm looking at the, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, conference standings and the records and I, it almost looks like it's going to kind of keep going this way this year. If this pace of play continues with everybody, you've got, it's almost a four, five, five. I mean, you've got your top tier, you've got your middle tier and you've got your bottom tier almost divided up in a perfect, one third fraction all the way. So you got your top four, Alabama, AM, Auburn, Tennessee. Then you've got your next tier, Georgia, Kentucky, Florida, Missouri, Vandy. Then your bottom five, Arkansas, South Carolina, Mississippi State, LSU. And I mean, you can almost just draw a definitive line, like right, like all right, yep, here, top four, gap. Next five, then gap, bottom five. And yeah. that really seems to be, it's going to be interesting to see if it continues to play out like that for the rest of the season or if uh, some of the some of the averages start to kind of you know go in a shape of a bell curve, mm-hmm. but I mean that really seems to be what it is. It's like all right, you got these you know you got these little scrappy teams here in the middle. You got your just doo doo garbage down here at the bottom. I mean every every bottom five team right now has one and only one SEC yes. win. They they got one upset. That's pretty much what you're going to get out of those bottom teams. You know South Carolina somehow was able to scrape out a win. LSU, I mean South Carolina beat Kentucky who had not been playing very well. Um, we just talk about the Arkansas team not being as good as they previously had, and they are the the one that uh, LSU was able to get. Um, Arkansas had a pretty impressive showing in their win. Um, they beat, what, Florida? Was that who Arkansas got? Let me double check. And I And Vandy just beat somebody they weren't supposed to beat. Yeah, it, Flor- uh, it was a Missouri. That ah, they, that's who that it was, Missouri. Got. And I mean, it's been a, it's a good Missouri team. Yeah, and I mean, they beat them, beat them handedly. Right, they, six they, points. Yeah, they they beat them pretty well in that game. Um, Vandy just got 
a W against somebody. Um, that was uh, that was against Arkansas. So it's just kind of this merry oh, yeah. go round, and then Arkansas and South Carolina, long. and that South Carolina team is just oddly inconsistent. Is a good way to put it. Like I, I hope they, they tilt in the direction of more of the bad inconsistency when we go face them coming up. So. About to see him. About to see him real soon. But I mean, at yeah. least Auburn is just getting in a direction of just somewhat of consistency. I mean, that's that's you know, I've, I've, what have I said? But I've seen all season consistently, consistent, consistently consistent. And it's like, all right, the past few games, I'm like, all right, I'm starting to see some good consistency that can really like hang my hat on and say, all right, I feel a little bit better about what this team's matchup could be moving forward. I feel better of looking at one of those guys out there and like, all right, you're, it's it's not going to just be a, a throw of the dice for who's going to have a good game and a bad game tonight. It's it's like we're really looking at guys and saying, all right, well, you you are definitely going to perform in this way. And I feel like you could be doing that because I don't know, you've done it multiple, multiple games in a row. Looking over at Flanagan when I say that. Uh, yeah, Alan you know, Flanagan played well, man. Played well another game. Consistent. And and consistent is either, it, it, consistent doesn't mean just lights out on the numbers, but just not a liability. Right. Like, nah, yeah, he's <clears throat> he's definitely been a guy who doesn't make me nervous when he has the ball in his hands as much as it had been earlier in this season and last season. Right. And that, and that's really, really important. And I think we've seen an evolution of KD's game lately to where he has been much more level headed when he's been out there and he's not just continually, continuously just throwing up these brick shots and really giving teams other rebounds and just essentially wasting possessions for Auburn. And he's been just a little bit more, efficient with the ball he'll get he'll draw some fouls get his free throws and still menace on defense and just getting good quality minutes and i mean you're seeing that we'll even use his performance tonight with the lsu game you kind of look at the numbers all right going two for four from three was very helpful didn't have any didn't have any two shots in there went two for two for his uh, free throws as well one rebound, one assist. Okay, you know, he only had one foul, so that's good. Uh, no, no, no steal. Wait, did he just say that? Okay, two steals, so that's mm-hmm. we love to see that. But also, he was tied for the highest plus minus for the night. Yeah, so it's no, like K- KD had some really good minutes tonight, right? So that's where you see, like, all right, well, that impact was most definitely felt because that's the column you circle right there. Is okay, he was did what he needed to do, but he was making the team better when he was out there or you can look at it he was making LSU worse whichever way you want to look at it good for Auburn good minutes that that is one thing that shows up I'm liking the evolution of what we're seeing with KD right now versus what we saw the first part of the season because that wasn't really scratching their head saying what's going on with KD he's not back to this just points the the uh what was the what would they call the was it a maniac yeah you know, like you don't have that version of KD back just yet, but he's a more level-headed, efficient KD. And then I think maybe to get a little confidence back, he can get back there. But he's not, as you said, Flan and now KD. Kind of go in that order. Two guys who, at times, people could safely say just by what you saw at the eye test and what you saw on the stat sheet, and might have been a liability out there for the last number of games in conference play. We're not seeing that, and I think yeah. that inconsistency out of them is that lack. The inconsistency we had out of them that is now slowly fading away is making this Auburn team a lot more consistent. Right, 
they are just out there playing smarter, and we're starting to see the results of that. And now, zooming that out, is it seems like there's a little bit more polish in what the offense is doing and how the team's working together. It's not just five guys out there playing pickup basketball. It's five guys playing as a team. Yeah. I think the big thing, too, is you have those matchups, or excuse me, those lineups that Bruce Pearl wants to be able to go to at points in time to give Wendell Green a break, to give Janai Broom some time off of the court. And you would see him, you know, the the lineup would be something like Trey Donaldson at the point with KD out there, and now Leor Berman, but what was Chris Moore playing at the three, um, and then you'd have like Dylan Cardwell and Trey Orr, right, at your, at your as your big guys, and you're like, where are you going to get points in this lineup? Like, who's going to score out of this lineup? And and the answer to that has been. They're actually just kind of doing it by not letting the other team score out of that lineup. And then you're getting some better minutes from KD in there. And then Lior's kind of stealing minutes for, for you because he played really well tonight. He hit a couple of big shots. Um, I say big shots just because, you know, he had open shots when they were available to him. Uh, played well, getting some good rebounds, playing good on defense. Uh, and then you flip that out and you put Flanagan out there on the court now and you got KD and Flan out there at the same time. The, the prospect of having a matchup, just think about this uh, late November, early December, that would have been Trey Donaldson, Katie Johnson, Alan Flanagan, Johan Treor, and Dylan Cardwell would have made Auburn fans sick to their stomach. There's no way you look at that lineup, come off of the bench and say to yourself, we're, we're, we're going to score points and we're going to play well in whatever stretch of minutes that those five guys will be on the floor. That's not been the case anymore for this team. If you were to see that lineup out there, you'd say, okay, Flan, it's, it's, your, it's your squad right now. Go out there and get us a couple of buckets. KD, we're going to run some ISO stuff for you. Go out there and get us a couple of buckets. Uh, still waiting on the light to come on for Johan. But uh, Trey Donaldson running the team efficiently. He hasn't been playing. I mean, he hasn't had another USC game, right? But he still has played efficient minutes and has not been a liability when he's out there on the court. Yeah, I mean, good relief, good relief minutes to Wendell. And I mean, you see it on the stat sheet. He did have four rebounds. So there's your, uh, there's your, I guess the biggest highlight of his night as far as from statistical standpoint. Mm -hmm. This isn't a steal. Love to see that. Missed one one uh one uh three point shot, but that was a I'm, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give uh Wendell and Trey a little break on this one. And I wanna say maybe Jalen had a few of those. And it's crazy because Auburn still shot 33% from the three, which mm-hmm. once again we take that. But it was the the way that they played, I want to get a little technical here, but before I do that, I want to kind of zoom on this one point. If you notice the the amount of clock control that they were taking a lot of uh, buzzer like beater shot. shots. Yeah or got the actual shot caught clock buzzer called on him, really slowing the pace down. I would have been interested to ask on the post game if I had the chance, hey, Bruce, was that by design or just happen? Or was there something that y'all saw that slowing down the pace of play and really stretching that clock gave y'all some sort of tactical advantage? Because it, it happened it happened too much to just feel like it wasn't planned. Mm-hmm. And some of those three-point shots were just literally like, there's a second, the yeah. There's a second left on the clock. We might as well shoot it or give the ball up. And so the, I'll even give a few passes on some of those threes because had there been 15 seconds on the shot clock, they're not taking those shots. So it, impressive to say that you still had 33% shooting from deep, considering there was a lot of just shot clock, 
you know, heave it up there, see what happened, balls. And uh, I don't, I remember Trey shot. I can't remember if that was a shot clock situation or he just, because I mean, he popped it off quick. I do remember that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but wasn't, it wasn't a great shot, but it, it was a very quick release on it. But yeah. I want to get, but, but taking that, we're going to get a little more technical on this. And you definitely have a better technical basketball knowledge than I do. So I think you could probably, jump run with what I start to walk with here but it really you know we know how Bruce and Auburn love to run that flex and yeah tonight I really felt like I could really see the play developments it seemed like they were they were very methodical very purposeful with their passes with their rotations with actually running the plays the flex being a very pass heavy offense and I think you saw a lot of that Mm-hmm. I think it helped them score in ways that maybe they haven't been doing as much. It felt like it was a bit more, we're going to score off an executed play, rather we're going to score off just athleticism or broken coverage. I mean, that was the idea of the flex is you pass it all, you rotate, you move guys around, you catch a defender off guard, and then you take advantage of it. You get to your shooter, take the shot. Right. And, it and you notice there that they ran to the in the you know announcers were very very ecstatic. To, oh, they're in a they're in a one three one high zone, mm-hmm. which is a way to counter what they were running for the flex, jumping from man to zone like that. And it was awesome because Auburn completely shifted and just countered counter punched their counter, and they really saw no results for stopping. It didn't slow Auburn down at all. Yeah, and they uh, were able to basically take advantage of that one, three, one, and they were able to get it down low. And I remember, I think Flanagan was able to take advantage of some shots getting that, but uh, on the technical standpoint, uh, did you zoom in a little bit more on anything that you saw with uh, how the offense was run? Yeah. So, I mean, so there's an interesting thing, right? Because I, and I was going to talk about this a little bit um, and and maybe we, we will get into the, the mystery of the disappearing Janai Broom from the offensive strategic, from a strategic standpoint on offense. Um, But it was a lot of them trying to hit the, the screener on the flex, whether it was cross court or um, the, the peak in high on, on the high post, they were doing a good job of, of identifying how LSU was playing against that defensively and, and making good decisions from the high, uh, a lot less of the downhill pick and roll stuff tonight. A lot less of that. I mean, it happened, right? Late clock, they're going to get into that because it's like ball in the hands of Wendell Green, let him get downhill type of stuff. But it, it didn't happen often. Even those late shot clock shots that you're talking about, those came off of ball rotations. It wasn't really like dribble, 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 throw up a shot. It was more so pass the ball around, pass the ball around. Okay, I got to get it off right now type of things. Um, they looked like they were intent on running some curl action to get guards going downhill. Um, it it just felt like to me they felt very confident in their ability for their motion and action to allow them to get downhill against LSU's guards and then allow that to be a pass and kick things for them to get open looks from three. And it worked really well. Um, so I was happy what I think I've been the most happy about is seeing Coach Pearl and his staff put put such specific game plans together for teams, especially in the wake of people talking about how Coach Pearl is 
not coaching well. I just think when you look at the job that they did against Arkansas to say, all right, they can't shoot threes. We're just going to zone them up the entire game. Prove to me that this is a bad idea. We're going to zone you the entire game. You get to Ole Miss and completely different defensive strategy. They're doing a lot of, you know, dribble handoff stuff that they hadn't been doing previously. Um, And you've seen that kind of be a a theme since the Arkansas game. They went to Janai Broom a lot more proactively in the post. And then, you know, like I said, the last couple of games, Janai Broom's not really even part of the the strategy. He takes less than 10 shots in in those games. And they've decided that they want to do more of the, the motion action, the stuff that's natural in the offense, but they're working it a little bit more into the shot clock. So um, I just think that they've done a great job coaching and putting guys in position to be successful uh, over the stretch of the last five games, I'd say. And uh, it's, it's paid dividends. And I think that goes to what we're saying about this team not being a young team anymore. You got guys that have been on this team. They know the system and they have been, you know, Zepp Jasper's Zepp's about to be 30. I mean, he, right. he's been playing basketball a long time. So you can really start working because you're not going to have the Walker. You're not going to have the town of Jabari out there. So how do you make up for that? Well, you play smarter, more fundamental basketball. You play as a team, use that seniority, you win with your head. And you got guys out there like Jalen who've been under Bruce Pearl for a long time. You've got Wendell, who's a smart basketball player, as I already mentioned. Zepp Jaspers has been playing basketball for a really, really long time. Ed Broom is a veteran player who transferred in here right. as well, and as is Flanagan. So you, you've got, I mean, Chris Moore, when he was, you know, hopefully he'll be healthy here again. So like you got guys out here that know the ropes, and even even, even Lior to an extent. I mean, he's he's uh, came in, and he played 16 minutes, and he gave good right. quality minutes out there. And as I mentioned, I would say his Biggest thing year to years. I mean, he just looks like a absolutely different player in the the right way defensively compared to how he'd look out there last year. Sometimes and there's some times where I mean, we know Leor's a great shooter, but he could just get bodied on defense, or he just looked like a deer in headlights at times. And right, and maybe a lot of that is attributed to his time that he spent playing overseas in Israel, not with Auburn, but when he was actually playing on the Israeli team, like full time playing over there, mm-hmm. and. You know, over for those that don't know, like overseas basketball is intense stuff. Like they, it's hardcore, especially, especially kind of the Mediterranean, like Middle Eastern, going from like Turkey, Jordan, Israel, like all those countries along there. Like a lot, a lot of like big basketball culture there. And right, not a ton of people know that. And a lot of uh, old former Auburn players were playing overseas balls over there for a while. So that was the you know caliper of players and teams that Leo was playing with over the summer. And I think that is a uh, most definitely helped his game. I think he just had to get a rhythm of playing some more minutes with Auburn. But I mean, he he got he got eight points. He was three for four shooting. The only miss he had was from three, but he's still one for two. Nailed the free throw shot he got, and he had got a rebound in there. He had good minutes, and you know, sixteen he had a plus minus eight, and you know they those were shots that he took where it was especially that three he got where it was just like. All right, that was a momentum shifter because let's remember in the second half. I mean, that that's when LSU, right at the beginning there, got that got it got it within. I think was it thirty four to thirty five or excuse excuse me, it was a thirty five to thirty nine. It was a four point game, mm-hmm. and that's you're just kind of sitting there. It's like is Auburn just going to go into one of these little droughts and let because like, that was when LSU was just rebounding everything. So Auburn out rebounded the first half and is immediately right there in the first six seven minutes second half. It just felt like 
one, LSU was getting way more rebounds, just rebounding everything. And that's when they were kind of, you know, popping up a few, th- few, uh, really, really key clutch three point shots. Well, that's the quickest way to get back in the game, get a lot of rebounds and make some threes and, and just have Auburn go cold, which that little formula is bubbling up there for a few minutes. And thankfully, getting the Leor shot and some of the stuff that everybody else did and made the adjustments that, uh, that quickly fizzled out and Auburn was able to take it away there, but still scares you when they kind of have that tendency to let other teams do that, where it's just like, keep that, you know, keep that 10, 15 point cushion strong. Don't let them, don't let them give that away there. Cause I think it was, uh, I know there was a goaltending call. Uh, I think, but I think Auburn got one and LSU got one. Yeah. There was one on Flanagan. Um, and, uh, I can't remember who took the shot for Auburn where it was a goaltend. I want to say it was Shanae. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Shanae. Yeah, I think it was Brew as well. But, and that was the thing there. I think that goaltending call was like right there when it was maybe like six or eight points and maybe like took it from eight. To, like that, that was one of those calls where it was just like, okay, do not let Auburn self-destruct themselves into giving up a nice lead cushion. And that's just one you hate to see where it's just like, oh, I got to get a goal. Like goaltending yeah. is probably like, probably one of my like, my like least favorite calls to like happen. Like, against Auburn, but like every time you get a goaltending call, you're just like, <laughs> just, it right. feels like, it feels like double good. Cause you're just like, Oh, you, you gave us three points. Thank you. Uh, Cause you know, like it's, Hey, it's points for you, but you know, it's got like piss them off double. Cause yeah. it's like, Oh shoot, it's made a bad play. So uh, it was nice to see. Uh, I, I did feel a little vindicated when um, Auburn did get one going in their, their way as well. But uh, that was definitely a little stretch of the game that uh, had me, had me nervous, but luckily they did what they needed to do and didn't let it be. You can't guarantee a good team's not going to have a struggle like that, but you keep it isolated, you move on from it, you you build that gap back up, and Auburn got it within a manageable point difference very, very quickly to where, I mean, it was just obvious that LSU's game plan, that they, they really didn't have anything to, to counter it. And and it just did seem, this LSU team, just, just there was no discipline out of them. I mean, it just seemed like they, and generally speaking, I would say that they played some of the sloppiest basketball that I've seen an opponent play against Auburn I mean, that's even dating back to some of the, uh, I mean, top 200-plus Ken Palm teams that Auburn faced off against at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean, the the, the LSU team, speaking of their, their discipline, yeah, it was, it was kind of, uh, specifically offensively, they took a ton of bad shots. And it was almost as if they were determined to try to shoot their way out of uh, the hole that they were in. And I think maybe the early success that they had um, – in the second half made them think, oh yeah, well we we could potentially do this. And it's like, no, you absolutely can't. You're not, you're not that good a shooting team to just turn it on and you're gonna all of a sudden erase a deficit. Um and they got away from the things that actually made them successful, which was turning the ball turning Auburn over and getting out in transition. Um, I mean you hit a couple of threes there to start the half, but Again, you just have to play solid basketball and stack good possessions, and they just refused to do it. They were just pretty much like, oh, we got a couple of good possessions. We'll stop doing that now. Well, one thing I do love to see, and speaking of Ken Palm, um, I did double-check this. LSU is like 106, uh, to put that in perspective. Mississippi State was... Say that, hold on. Mississippi State was 58. Oh. But in full perspective, Auburn is 15. So hmm. we uh, like to see that. So I think in Ken Palm, Tennessee's two, Alabama is three. 
Auburn's 15. So that puts Auburn as the uh, third ranked Ken Paul team. And somehow Arkansas is still 21st. So I guess they played a uh, pretty tough schedule or they've looked good in the losses they've had, but all the same. I did want to mention one thing on the stat sheet because you mentioned the things about the threes and we love love to see it. Zepp getting a started with a three. Yeah. That got me. That, that's how I knew it was going to set off to a, a good tone. And I'll kind of loop Lior in this as well because I think Zepp and Lior both had low points, but very consistent and efficient points. They didn't miss a lot of shots, didn't give a lot of them up. I mean, two for four for Zepp, three for four for Lior combined 13 points. You take those 13 points away. And this is a five-point ball game. So, like that, because, I mean, obviously we know Zepp can have the tendencies of just being a little not as trigger-happy on some of those shots. I think everybody knows this team is better when Zepp does take a handful of those shots and gets just a handful of high-efficiency points. And obviously glad him and Lior did that, especially with Chris Moore being gone, because I would say Chris Moore can really fall into that uh, fall into that category as well. But, I mean, I think just... I know it just sounds so cliche, but just Zepp starting the team on the right foot with just a was that the first possession they got the three? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, just, I don't know if it's the first possession, but it definitely was the first points of the game. Um, I want I want to say yes, it was the first possession though. Yeah. If it wasn't, it was like right up there with it. I mean, this yeah. it just starts everything on the right foot. I mean, I, I think if you could have if you could dial it up, you give me any of the guards. So I'll take Wendell, Katie, Zepp. I'll even throw Leor in there for right now. Get a good old guard three in there. Right at the right at the beginning of the game, that is gonna. I think that's gonna set a uh, just a confidence, and that's gonna set a tone for the game. Especially when you do that away. I mean, if you can just come out of the gate, hit a three, that's gonna shut the crowd up real quick. And yeah. it's the crowd. I mean, if you saw the glances on TV, I mean, LSU had dozens of fans there. Yeah, uh, I it, mean, it looked like a. I think their women's basketball team has bigger crowds than their men's basketball team right now. Yeah, I mean they. I mean, talk about being down bad, and I think. Auburn has benefited because I don't really think Auburn has played in a super hostile away SEC environment. Maybe Georgia would have been the worst. Yeah, I mean, Georgia was, I don't think the environment was the problem at Georgia. Um, but yeah, probably the worst because the Ole Miss environment was terrible. Um, I think Kentucky's probably going to be the first. Uh, that South Carolina crowd might be pretty it's on, a, it's on a Saturday. And then, I mean, you know, it's odd because West Virginia has not been on a great, because they were on the West Virginia game. West Virginia has not been on a, a great little streak lately, and the 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 ESPN analytics matchup predictor still has like, them as a sixty three percent odds of winning that game mm-hmm. at West Virginia, not Auburn. Yeah. I mean, West Virginia is like one, two, three, four, five. They are they're one in five in their last few games, and uh, I guess one in five in conference play. Yeah, so. You know, they, uh, and I guess they just had a win over TCU, which, you know, TCU is ranked top 15 right now. But that's uh, still going to be an interesting away game just on the topic of hostile environments Auburn gets to. But winning this one was huge because winning any away game in the SEC is always good. Right. If you can go two for two with South Carolina, you got a really, really good matchup coming up with Texas A&M. Yeah. A, undefeated in conference Texas A&M team. And I don't know how many people may have seen that one coming. Yeah. And that's going to be, I mean, thus far, that'll probably be, I mean, thought would have been the marquee matchup with Arkansas. But I mean, right now, I mean, Texas A&M is 13 and five. 
five and zero in conference. So I mean that if let's take a quick peek at their schedule. One second, I want to see um, if it looks like they've got any potential losses coming up because that'll be an interesting uh, that'll be a real interesting game. Okay, so that'll be a big test. So Texas A and M plays at Kentucky mm-hmm. this weekend. So we'll see how they do there. So I mean, if they win at Kentucky, then that's gonna then that game's gonna have a whole lot of hype around it because then you just came off a big win at Kentucky, you got a big game at Auburn. You're undefeated in the SEC. So, and then uh, interestingly enough, if it te- Texas A&M does continue going some role there, their final game of the season is Alabama at Texas A&M. Mm. So we'll see that. But they, uh, they, you know, Texas A&M doesn't have a too too bad of a stretch here. I guess they do have to play Auburn twice. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that ends up going. We'll see what this Texas A&M team's really made out of. Because once again, they have not played a super. They lost to Murray State. Love to see that. But this Texas A&M team hasn't played too much of a schedule. I mean, at Florida, LSU. We know this LSU team is just quite possibly one of the worst teams in the SEC. You did have a good win over a good Missouri team, but South Carolina and Florida again. So, and Florida is just not great this year so i mean they played four to twice already yeah they've played four oh, twice. wow yeah so, so you know maybe this texas a&m team is just riding a little bit in the clouds right now because i mean even their even their non-con schedule uh, i'm looking over it i'm just looking for some of their best wins so far and who, who are their five losses to let's look at that <laughs> murray state okay and these are bad. Like these are these are pretty significant losses here. This isn't like a two or three point game. And eighty eight to seventy nine, Colorado get a mm. get a get a load of what this score was. Colorado's eleven and eight, eighth in the Pac twelve. So and like Colorado's a world beater this year. They lost that game one hundred three to seventy five. Wow. So yeah, not great. Uh, Loyola Chicago they beat, who's six and twelve right now, and they didn't really beat them by a ton. I guess they did. Okay, I'll say that. Sorry. Handedly good over Loyal Chicago. Boise State. That's what they lost to Boise State? Yes. Boise State is first in the Mountain West. They're currently 15 and four. And they lost to Boise State at home. They lost that game 86 to 71. So mm. big little ass beating there. <clears throat> they did beat Oregon State, who is seven and eleven, eleventh in the Pac-12. So you don't really hang your hat on that win. They lost to Memphis. Okay, and I was about to say that's the only team on that schedule so far that I'm like, okay, that's a that's a real team. Yeah, I mean, thirteen and five. You know, okay, you lost, you lost to Memphis, and then, well, let me get my schedule back. Hitting the, I'm hitting the back button faster than I can. Uh, Get back to it. Okay, so we had Memphis, and then, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, Wolford Terriers. That was their other L. Was Wolford? <laughs> they lost that game sixty-seven to sixty-two. Once again, they lost that game. Uh, oh, I think Boise State was neutral site. We'll give them. We'll give them a little, uh, little credit there. I mean, Wolford. Wolford was at home. <laughs> wow. Didn't realize that. And hey, you know what? Ever since Wolford, 
old Buzz got them boys turned around playing playing some good ball because they came back and they they beat up on Northwestern State and they got they got it right against Prairie View A and M, and then um, they have gone it gone right at it at conference play. So maybe we're leaning to the fact that Texas A and M might be some frauds? Question mark. Uh, I mean, listen, uh, their their conference schedule thus far has not been impressive. I will say that. And I am far from impressed in their non-con. So I don't know, man. I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, uh, there's nothing, nothing on here non-con wise. And like I said, that Missouri game is probably their best win. But even then, um, you know, you can still, you can still drop some games. I mean, granted, it was at Texas A&M too. So you're, you're bound to win some of those there, but Missouri, I mean, Missouri's lost to Florida. They lost to Arkansas. So, I mean, is Missouri they lost to Kansas? Missouri's not Missouri's the, the head scratcher for me because I thought that they were going to be pretty good. And then they got into the conference and they have no showed a couple of games. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe Missouri is just that's one of those teams that, like, you like maybe SEC tournament is going to be their bread and butter. But overall, it could really be one of those things where, like, if you're not top four in the SEC, going back to what I was saying at the beginning of the episode, you're kind of sitting down there because, and it's just wild that is is Auburn is Auburn really in a place right now where they're just capitalizing on just everybody else just being bad and beating up on each other and just being consistent enough to win games. And at that point, you really look at it and say, well, if you want to compete in the SEC, it's really between doing something against Alabama and Tennessee and hoping that they screw up and you just can take advantage of that. I mean, it's, it's, it's wild to think. And I mean, I'm not, you know, maybe some people also premature, a lot, a lot of ball to play, but like Auburn is realistically in a hunt for the SEC right now. And I don't think like anybody was probably thinking that was going to be a scenario, like realistic scenario in mid January, but you got to look at it. I mean, Alabama six and zero, Texas A and M is five and zero, and we just went over. That's not the. That's not. That's a five and zero built on a house of cards right here. Auburn's five and one, and Tennessee's also five and one. So I mean, really, you you knock out A and M. You're really looking at Auburn, Alabama, and Tennessee, and, and who knows? Maybe it will be established to where there's a big gap between Alabama, Tennessee, and then there's you know, Auburn at third with the gap there, but who knows? And then, you know, the whole is Kentucky back. I don't believe it. I think Kentucky's some bums. I think Kentucky's some frauds. <laughs> don't even, you know, they, they every, it's just like everybody's just waiting for that headline. They're, oh, yes, Kentucky's back. They, you know, they, oh, no, they, people are going to proclaim them to be back. Uh, listen, Kentucky's going to be, they're going to be okay. They're not the class of the SEC and they're going to pull off some wins this year that people didn't expect them to because they've got talent. Um, but you know they're they're a good team, not great team. Um, but they're probably on the bottom end of the good, right? Like they're not like even the class of the the median in the SEC right now. So, um, you know, I'm not going to write off Kentucky because again, when you're a talented team, and as the the year progresses, you start to galvanize a little bit more. You can always go and pull off a win, especially at home. Um, in which we're going to have to travel to Lexington to play that game, but Kentucky being back, back from where? They they what have they won recently? Where are they back from? 
What are we talking about here? Like, let's be serious. People keep trying to proclaim Kentucky as the class of the SEC. They have not been that for a few years now. And it's time to start moving on from that narrative that Kentucky is the class of the SEC because they're not. Yeah, I think they're back from like not firing Cal. Like, yeah, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> like, like I think it's like depths of despair. Yeah, Cal, Cal might be able to coach out the season versus like maybe he's not going to like we need to start calling a U-Haul truck to come clear his office tomorrow. But uh, that's that'll be that'll be an interesting matchup for the two of them there. The two of them being, I guess, A&M and Kentucky, because these are two teams who are we, you know, this is where A&M can really show, are you actually a good team or is Kentucky going to show we weren't really in a slump? Because it's just funny, they beat like a, a mid-tier average Georgia team and they're like, yeah, oh yeah, you know, it's like they just won the Super Bowl. It's like, you got to be down bad. Like that's, that's where we're, that's where we're at here. But it's, I mean, as far as Auburn's, like I said, just keeping it, keeping it on pace with Auburn here, as far as their outlook for the SEC, it's still kind of crazy that yeah, it's, we're, it's we're squarely in contention, favorable, favorable spot. I mean, in worst case scenario, you don't win the conference or you get, you know, you get out to where someone else locks it in sooner. You're still on pace to get that, get that high seed and get those tournament buys. So there's there's your secondary win right there. It's like okay, well, maybe you don't get the regular season, but you're gonna really good position for the tournament. And I'm still gonna be getting the narrative. I teased it a while back, but like, I still might be leaning on the narrative that this Auburn team could potentially be on pace for peaking at the right time, just from some of the stuff that we've been seeing in these games. And they've been playing better even without Chris Moore these last two games with a shoulder injury. So yeah. if you get that, and it doesn't seem like any other team is like really at that point where I don't think there's anybody in the SEC really look at and say, mm, are they peaking? I think the only other argument you have there is like, did Alabama peak too soon? Cause like, I don't, I mean, I just, I, I don't think Al, at this point, Alabama is not exactly going to get better from what they're doing. Could it be a situation Auburn had last year where Alabama is the hunted and they've got the massive target on their back and everybody's coming after Alabama and that's where Auburn was pretty much exactly this time last year. And can Alabama handle the pressure? Can Nate Oates handle the pressure? I mean, they did it in 2020 when there was all of 36 people with masks in the stands and your bench had to six, six feet apart. And you're essentially playing on a practice court because there was no sound. There's no hostile. There's nothing on the line. It was a season that essentially was, you know, made up and nothing that season, nothing that happened that season counted in football or basketball. So when it's actually real and it matters, can they do it? We don't know. But I mean, we saw that happen with Auburn last year. It was like this time last year, oh man, is, you know, Auburn, are they borderline? Like, and this is a tournament team. Nashville, you're seeing the same headlines coming up for Alabama. You're seeing people get way too, oh, national championship team, best team we've ever seen. Will it happen? Will it not? We don't know. But just saying this is a dangerous time to have that narrative inflated unless you are the real, real, real deal. And I'm just talking on schedules. You know, I love to hate on Alabama any way I can, so I'm going to take my shot here. Just keeping the relevancy of the hunt for the SEC. I'm not exactly sure that Alabama has enough of a battle-proven schedule just yet to convince that this team is the real deal because the big wins they had was against a North Carolina team that were some frauds. A Houston team that I think is a tad on the overrated side. They lost to a very below average Gonzaga team by their own standards. 
And the Kentucky win they had was also against a fraudulent Kentucky team. So once again, you know, I guess your big wins were against Michigan State. And I mean, we still keep Houston up in there. But as far as conference play goes, we'll just keep it at that. I mean, you played Mississippi State and Ole Miss, bottom tier. You played a Kentucky team that is really, if they don't bounce back from this, this was their beginning of their slump. You played a bad, injured, beat-up Arkansas team, and you beat a huge win you had over the LSU team might be quite possibly... The least impressive of any of them. (laughs) Because it's a big win, but who is the LSU, right? Yeah, it might be the worst team in the SEC. So it's not, I'm not exactly sold on how battle proven this uh, Alabama team is. And honestly, you look at it, they've got a pretty easy conference schedule if you kind of look at it in its whole totality. So we'll see. We'll see what they end up doing. And maybe they just get, maybe they just skate by with that. But, um, you know, they, they play at Missouri. We know how scrappy this Missouri team doing. So maybe that, maybe that's a little bit of a trap game. We don't know. And that Oklahoma team, you know, Oklahoma got them a few years ago, but all the same, the SEC hunt is alive and well. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where Auburn finishes in conference play. I think, uh, again, people who were writing off this team uh, a couple of weeks ago now have to come back to the table and acknowledge that they might have jumped out of the window a little too quickly. Um, again, not saying that this team is ready to win championships, but I am saying that uh, the the we're an NIT team and all of that kind of talk and Bruce Pearl is you know not a good coach conversation I think is uh, hopefully we're past that but you know who knows people might be saying the same thing that we're saying about some of these other people oh well you only beat LSU you only beat Ole Miss uh, you beat a bad Arkansas team let me see you do it against Texas A and M let me see you do it against Alabama let me see you do it against Tennessee or Kentucky if people still believe in them and we shall see. We, we will have an opportunity to prove that soon enough. But next up is South Carolina. So hopefully we can continue the winning ways against the team that we're supposed to beat um, and uh, go ahead and take care of business on the road once again in the SEC. Any final thoughts here, Mings, before we get out of here? I think I think that's about going to think that's about going to wrap it up for us. I do want to look up real real fast before we go. I do want to see what ESPN's analytics have for the odds of this. Oh my gosh. Try to guess what Auburn's uh, win percentage is for this game against South Carolina. Uh, 84. According to the ESPN analytics, Auburn has a 91.7% chance wow. of winning this game. It's huge. That's so, a, a, yeah, yeah, if they can uh, not screw up the 8.3% odds there, uh, that'll be a very good 2-0 and stretch on away games, which, like I said, we take them. Yeah, you got to take the road wins when you can because uh, you're going to need them to pad your resume as you get into the teeth of this schedule. And uh, make no mistakes, the the back half of this Auburn schedule is a rough one in the SEC. All right, man, well, we are going to get out of here. We'll be back at you guys next time um, talking a little bit more Auburn basketball right here on the Auburn Express. You got Ike Jones, Auburn memes here at Lobtown Podcast. Auburn basketball takes down two... Eh, not so great SEC opponents, but one good home win and a quality road win. And uh, we'll see if they can handle business next time out. We're out of here. As always, you can check us out at The War Report or you can follow Auburn Memes at Auburn Memes on Twitter. I am T.W. Ike Jones on Twitter. Next time. And as always, War Eagle. Peace. Peace.